This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Oh, hey! Welcome, 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 my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I don't know, they're both good. (laughs) I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. (laughs) Oh, cringe. I couldn't help myself. Anyway, I am your host, Freya Graff, and I am a holistic sex coach and educator and yoni mapping therapist. So basically, I make my living massaging vaginas and teaching people about sex. Yeah, pretty cool. (laughs) So as you can imagine, we are going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you'd never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in though, I would like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this podcast, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if y'all are ready, let's flap and do this. Oh, is there such thing as having too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull the couch. It's the Labia Lounge. Everybody, how you doing today? I've got a beautiful and special guest today called Dr. Madeline Turner, who's a chiropractor and women's health advocate, and her mission is to help women understand their menstrual cycle, to cultivate a loving and freeing relationship with their body, mind, and soul. And Madeline has also got a really lovely podcast called Menstrual Memoirs that I was on a few months ago. So as you can imagine, this episode is going to be focused you know, a little bit on the menstrual cycle. Um, we're going to go into things like uh, exercising and moving in alignment with your cycle and natural fertility awareness as a method of contraception or to conceive. So with all that said, welcome, Madeline. Thank you. I'm so excited to be back chatting with you. We had so much fun the first time we did my podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, that was a ripper. I'm so glad we've connected and I'm really happy to have you on. So, maybe yeah. just for the listeners, tell us a little bit about your journey and how you've wound up specializing in women's health and like what the main focus of your work is now. Cause chiropractic is sort of something different, but then obviously you've mm. sort of moved more into specializing around women's health. So, yeah, I'd love to know why you're so mm-hmm. passionate about that and how that's all come about. Yeah, well, I kind of just fell into it. And I feel like uh, the more like people you talk to, like doing these things, like you, it's just because I struggled in this realm. And, you know, I was looking for resources and, and mentors and coaches and growth. And, um, you know, I found some things along the way, which helped support me. But, you know, eventually, it's like, well, I would love to create something that like, I really needed or wanted at that point in time to help other women not have to take as long to get to where I have gotten, you know, to help create Mm. this community and sisterhood for them. Um, Mm. So 
yeah, I mean, I've just spent, I know a lot of women can resonate with this just so much of my life, like so disconnected from my body. And, you know, there's ebbs and flows in that. Like I had, you know, there's so much (laughs) different parts of the story. I won't go into it all, but I would say like in my younger twenties, like I really struggle with like body image, with like exercise and eating, you know, I had came through that, did a lot of healing work. And then, um, in the last couple of years I had put on weight, my metabolism had slowed down. I was in pain, like all of these things. And I was like, I know this isn't right. Like I know so much about the body. I'm a chiropractor. I went to school for this. Like, but what am I missing? You know, and the more and more I looked and dug into it, I had like came across this whole information that our menstrual cycles are this other vital sign we have, and they give us an, um, information that we can actually take and use and honor and, and show up in, the, in our world within these four phases through each month and, and lean into that flow and really be able to use it to our advantage of power versus constantly fighting against it. And it literally like changed my world. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. Yeah. So that's kind of how I, essentially ended up here. So I do like, and locally see chiropractic patients, which, you know, we see, um, we're like holistic care for the whole family. So we see all ages and genders. I would say I see a lot more pregnant and postpartum moms in my practice than not. Mm. And then I had, I launched a coaching um, practice or business so I can help women learn their menstrual cycle the, the like whole like body, mind and soul that is part of it. So like the biology and body side of it and what's going on, but also there's this huge like energy management and intuition connection that comes into this work. So just combining them all and guiding women on their journey. Mm, gorgeous. Yeah. It's such a beautiful reason to get into something. I feel like that's, that is like you said, kind of common. It's why I do what I do. You know, it's usually a pain point for you. Um, and then you're like, fuck this. I don't want to live like this. And you go down this rabbit hole of researching and seeking out help and support and mentorship. And it's a long journey when you're just doing it from scratch with yourself and you don't have you know, that leg up of someone who's like, hey girl, I've done it all before you. Here you go. I've packaged it all up and we're going to just tackle it head on with everything I've learned over the last like 10 years. Um, so I you love that. It. <laughs> yeah. You've created that resource for women. I just think it's so important. So um, yeah, really excited hearing that there's more and more people making this an option, making this available. Um, cause there's so much to know and there's so much that we don't know. We don't know, like growing up, you know, my period was just, it was just there. And, and when it wasn't there, I didn't think about it. I didn't think of it as a cycle. I thought of it as like a short period of time that I bled. And during that time it was like happening, but I would kind of just like, ideally move about the world in exactly the same way, pretend I didn't have my period. If anything, it was just an inconvenience. And I had to think about like, you know, ways to catch the blood. But other than that, I really didn't give it any thought. And I also didn't know what I didn't know. So, you know, I wasn't like, oh, I'm so lacking all this knowledge and I feel like fucked up because my cycles, you know, I I just didn't even, yeah, I didn't even realize there was (laughs) a different way to live. And there was so much more available to me in terms of like energy and um, Mm -hmm. feeling, you know, positive or when I wasn't feeling positive, knowing 
that there was a reason for that potentially because of where I was at in my cycle. And yeah, it's, um, it's a whole new world when you start to, you start to live in alignment with your cycle. And I feel like a lot of people come to that because there's like really challenging issues with their cycle, um, that they're like, holy shit, this is not, I don't want to live with this anymore. This is really not sustainable. This is causing me a lot of grief. What can I do? Where is this coming from? And then it's like, great. Well, let's go to Dr. Madeline, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to focus on, on a couple of things specifically. I'd love to talk about exercise because I feel like, you know, there's a fair bit uh, more out there now about um, how to live in alignment with your cycle and how to eat according mm-hmm. to your cycle. And I'm going to do some some episodes on that sort of stuff specifically, but I'd love to talk to you about okay exercising and movement because I know that you've had a bit of yeah. um, a personal journey with this with with um, your kind of over exercising um, and body mm-hmm. image stuff um, and it's just not common knowledge that it's actually really important to exercise and like move your body in different ways according to where you're at in your cycle so yeah I'd love to hear your thoughts and mm-hmm. and um maybe just like a bit of a rundown on the different stages or the different seasons um yeah. as I like to think of them in the menstrual cycle and their characteristics, yeah. yeah, and how we should be moving our bodies during each season, yeah, definitely, yeah, so j- as you said, so yes, I love like the movement aspect of this because I spent um probably a good two plus years doing CrossFit like six days a week like really Mm. high intense like never taking breaks (laughs) and that was just the movement side of it that wasn't the stress I had for my job the lack of sleep I was getting you know choosing to deal with my stress with like alcohol so I did send my body into this whirlwind of disconnect and um I had wrecked my metabolism and my hormones like were definitely changing and things like that and the reason like I mentioned that and share that and we talk about movement in this realm is because I know a lot of women, there are like stress management technique is exercise. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've just kind of been in this space as women where we've, we've been taught for some reason that like, well, to really get the results you want, like you have to kind of go balls to the wall, like every single day. And if you don't, then you are slacking, you're losing all of your progress, like, you know, you name it X, Y, and Z and that like Mm. guilt trip. And it's just not true. We all like all of the, a lot of the exercise research and data that's out there was done on men. Yeah. Like they're not putting cycling women into these research studies because it's harder to understand how their body is changing with these other changing dynamics of how our hormones change in each phase. So Mm. um, a lot of the, information we're given and we're being told to do certain things off of like we weren't even fairly represented in the studies never mind the fact that we're kind of trained like little men and we're not little men at all like men's (laughs) bodies operate different with their hormones than ours do so um that being said i'm going to run through um there are four phases kind of how long they last, what your hormones are doing in each phase. And then we can talk kind of about like the movement that supports each phase a little bit better. Yeah. So, fabulous. Hit me. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
<laughs> I always start with menstrual phase because your menstrual phase is the one that like everyone already knows. That's when you bleed. That's your period. Like we're all at this point, like aware of that phase. It's the easiest to identify, right? Because like we are literally have blood coming out of us. So <laughs> your menstrual phase is about three to seven days long. And I always will say with this stuff, like about, because we are all bio individual. So it's not a, it's not like a rock, like a solid boundary in this. Like we are going to fluctuate between each one of us. Um, so day one of your menstrual cycle is the first day of your bleed. The last day of your menstrual cycle will be the last day of your bleed. So usually ranges about three to seven days. When we, that next day after we're done bleeding, we will enter into our follicular phase. So the follicular phase will last about seven to 10 days. This is when you're prepping that follicle to um, prep that egg that's going to be released. Once mm. we're through that seven to 10 days, we will move on to our ovulation phase. Ovulation phase lasts about three to four days. And that is where you will release that egg to either conceive or not conceive, whatever your plans are. Um, but your body's doing its biological thing of, well, we're supposed to procreate. So we are going to drop this egg. And there are a lot of health benefits to ovulation. We don't really want to suppress that. So we do want that to happen um, regularly and, and, and in a healthy way every single month. Luteal would be your next one after you ovulate. And if you did not conceive during that window, you will move on to your luteal phase, which will be the longest phase in your menstrual cycle. It's about 10 to 14 days long. Once you're through your luteal phase, you will re-enter your menstrual phase in the next month and you will keep going month after month like that if everything is working the way it's supposed to. Um, essentially, some of this can change a little bit through perimenopause and of course menopause is really when you make that transition over to not, to not cycling anymore. Mm-hmm. So during your menstrual phase, mm-hmm. which is when you have your period, your hormones are at their all-time low. So they all reach their lowest point, which is what initiates the shedding of your endometrial lining, which is your period. So, so we're talking like estrogen's low, progesterone's low, testosterone's low. It's all super low, which is also why we typically have less energy during this time and maybe Mm. feel a lot more inward and reserved and not as social because certain hormones will make, give us more energy. They will make us want to be more social. They will, um, make our brains work better, like super cool stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so once we're through menstrual and you're done that bleed, you're going to enter that follicular phase. So what happens, and mind you, like your brain is like talking to your ovaries, like all the time with this stuff going on with these hormones. So once we're entering into our follicular phase, we're like, Hey, we need to prep that follicle. So estrogen is going to come back on the scene. It's going to start to rise. You're going to start to notice an increase in your estrogen or your um, energy. We're also going to start to produce FSH, which is follicular stimulating hormone, again, to prep that follicle. And you will have some testosterone start to come back as well. So even women produce testosterone. It is there. It's important for us to have that. Once we're through that follicular phase, we will um, enter into our ovulation phase where our estrogen will still rise. Testosterone is rising during this time as well. We now have luteinizing hormone LH that is spiking during this time. And that spike is what is going to initiate the, uh, the release of the egg for that ovulation. So it's important for that to happen. We definitely want that spike for the LH. Now, once we're through that and your egg, you know, does decide, or you decide I'm not going to conceive this month, we'll move on to your luteal phase where that egg had this little mini like endocrine gland that created called your corpus luteum that surrounds it. And because it was it's going to start to die over time. But what it does is it produces this hormone called progesterone. 
progesterone is like a really soothing, like calming hormone. It makes you feel more relaxed. It helps with sleep, like things like that. It's also the hormone that has that thermogenic effect that will raise your basal body temperature, which is one of the ways we're going to talk about later on how you can naturally like know when your fertile window is, when you can conceive or, or avoid sexual intercourse in certain ways to not conceive. So how you can use this to your advantage. Um, Mm. So during a luteal phase, you have this progesterone, it's there. And remember, luteal is your longest phase. So it's about 10 to 14 days. So some hormones, some so the the progesterone's there, it's rising, estrogen's rising a little bit. At this point, you have stopped producing FSH and LH because that was to prep and release that egg, which you already did. And then in the second half of this cycle, in your, your luteal phase, all of those hormones start to decline, your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone. And remember when they reach their lowest phase again is when we reinitiate that menstrual phase with the bleed and your period. So that's kind of like a nice little overview of what's happening through those hormones throughout the month. Mm. So we are not the same every single day, which I think is like really empowering and cool to know because I've definitely tried to show up in this in the same way every single day. And often then, you know, before I knew this information, beat myself up and like, well, how come I could do all this stuff yesterday? And today I'm like tired and crabby and, you know, don't want to talk to anybody. And it's because these hormones <laughs> influence these things. Yeah. It's not yeah. all in your head. This is mm-hmm. real life. This is, and, and by us talking about this and understanding this and teaching each other about this, we can now show up in that space differently and we can ask the conversation to be different. Right. Like mm. I had a male reach out to me the other day and he was like, how do I support my partner during her period? And like, like her, her whole like cycle and stuff. And I was like, I think it's great that you're asking this question. And I was like, one, don't tell her she's acting crazy. Even if you don't understand because biologically, like physiologically in her body, these things are happening, you know? Totally. So yeah, yeah, for so many years, we've just been like, because nobody's understood it. It's like, you're crazy when you're in that premenstrual mm. or menstrual phase. Mm. Yeah. And Am I think I, like, how have... oh, sorry. I was just, um, I think there's a bit no, of a delay. Okay. I was just going to say like how we feel about ourselves and our energy levels and our moods is so affected by that kind of, uh, cultural belief around period, like all like yes. lack of knowledge, cultural ignorance really about the menstrual cycle and that whole yes. trope of like, Oh, have you got your period? You're acting cray cray. Like that infiltrates yeah. the way we actually view ourselves. And we're just feeling like, until you know about the way your hormones affect your, your mood and your, whether you're feeling social or whether you're feeling introverted and whether you're more irritable, until you know that there's like a really reasonable and rational reason for that, like you're just out there feeling like a fucking psycho as well. And you're just feeling crap about yourself. And you're like, wow, what's wrong with me? This is such a roller coaster. I'm just like feeling like I'm killing it one day. And then the next day I'm not killing it. And I've got to start all over again and get back on the horse. And, and it's just like so discombobulating and disheartening. But then once you do know that like, you know, we are not linear beings, we don't function the same way every single day. We don't have a 24 hour cycle like men do. We are cyclic beings and and it's just going to kind of keep coming back around each month, then it's like, oh, okay, okay, like I'm not crazy. This is how I'm supposed to work. And I think it's like, you know, like moving towards the exercise topic, like I know you were just about to to head there, but we pretty much just push ourselves to go hard all the time um, in in day-to-day life, at work, whatever, because we're kind of following that 
masculine blueprint. Um, and with exercise, it's just so fucking unhelpful. Like, you know, you were saying the research has all been done on male bodied people and they're actually, they've excluded females from those studies because we have a cycle and that that would mess up their results and make it tricky to actually right. read. And it would be a whole nother thing they had to take into account, like where the woman's at in her cycle and everything like that. So I think that's really important to note. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and like you said, like with this information, like you can essentially show up in a more embodied and like ready state in your life, understanding where you, where you can put your energy to use it the best throughout the month. And the more Mm. I've done this work and just implement it in my own life, whether it's through the movement and fitness or running a business or relationships, you know, like I can see how I can use all this that is working to my advantage versus me trying to show up the same every day and kind of everything crumbling and not working and feeling like really resistant. Mm. But it definitely takes, I think, some rewiring in our brains to be more comfortable going with that flow and understanding and giving ourselves space that we get to do less during certain points in the month and we can still have exponential growth and the other parts where our bodies are more suited for it. And to me, like, 100%. that's amazing. I'm glad yeah. I don't have to be on it 100% every single day. It's so great. Like, I love that I understand that. And there's some days I'm like, no, like, I can do less even as a business owner. And my business is still going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And by I understanding this flow and showing up in that space, I'm burnt out way less often, you know, yeah. and not and not even entering down that path. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I know it's, um, it is like a bit of a battle though, initially, because we are so conditioned to be a hundred percent all the time and be trying to push ourselves and not be lazy or not be, you know, like it's, it's that really like masculine kind of yang. Yeah productivity, like proactiveness, like these attitudes, which like, you know, they can be positive, but they're not helpful when we're Mm -hmm. trying to hold ourselves to that standard at all times. And yeah, like you said, it can take some rewiring. Like, you know, how long did it kind of take you once you started looking into this info to like genuinely feel okay with having a bit of a gentle week before you bled or while you're bleeding, you know, like even sometimes I still like I'm hard on myself, even though I know that this is, you know, say I'm like coming up to bleeding. I know that if I do hard out exercise, it it actually, I think there was a study, I need to find it. You actually can be at risk of putting on more weight when you exercise too hard during that luteal and like menstrual, moving into menstrual mm-hmm. phase because your body's just like, like, no, yeah, I, I can't really remember. <laughs> I've butchered this. I can't remember why exactly. I need to find it. Um, but, you know, because we're kind of where our metabolism changes, our hormones change, the way we're kind of um, converting our kilojoules or calories into Mm-hmm. energy is really different throughout different times in our cycles. So it's actually not helpful and can be doing the opposite of what you want it to do if you're exercising too hard during that stage in your cycle. And um, and even though yeah. my brain knows this and, you know, I know that I really should be taking it easy and finding more gentle ways and just mm-hmm. honoring my body, which I do, there's still that little voice in my brain that's like trying to push me to go harder and be like, oh, don't be lazy. Come on. Like, you, you know, um, 
Yeah, because yeah. we've just been trained to be like men as much as possible. Um, otherwise, we're seen as weak mm-hmm. or we're not, you know, equals. So it can be right. definitely challenging to like shift your mindset around it and embrace, yeah, your cycle. Yeah. Yeah, I like to try to like encourage women um, to think of it. Like I think yogis do a really good job of this like words where it's like, show or meet yourself where you are today, like on the mat or in practice. Mm. Like I would love for women to like, for a whole movement, think of it like a daily practice and meet yourself where you are. Cause we're getting ready to go into like what movements or intensity might be better during each phase. But at the end of the day, no matter what, like we're still like people and humans and like just trying to show up in this world. And we could maybe be doing certain things all checking all the boxes that still feel really depleted, maybe in a phase that we're supposed to have all this energy and be able to go harder in the gym. So we still, it's still really important every day to check in with yourself and see where you're mm-hmm. at, you know, emotionally, yeah. physically, spiritually, and then decide from there, what's going to best support you in that day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, definitely, mm-hmm. definitely. So can you tell us a little bit about how we should be moving our bodies and how we should be implementing exercise at each different stage? Yeah. So in your menstrual phase, when you're on your bleed, it's typically better to like have time for rest and recovery in this phase. So if you are somebody who likes to be in the gym and like lift weights and stuff, usually what I tell people is more like body weight movements or lighter weight, focusing on form, making sure you have plenty of rest time and whatever you're doing. But other things like gentle yoga, gentle walking are good as well. During this phase, again, like in checking in with yourself, it's completely okay to give yourself permission to skip a workout. If you mm. wake up and you're just like, your energy is not there, you're feeling like super inward and you just need to be more giving yourself more like comfort and um, maybe movement just doesn't feel good in that moment, then like, it's okay to be like, today, I'm not going to necessarily work out. You know, and Mm. and, if walk is, you know, like you got to check in and see now, um, again, just because I say like yoga during this time or like walking or trying to make things more gentle, like find what movement you like to do and then we can scale it for each phase. You know, like Mm. I still love lifting weights and CrossFit type of workouts, but how can I change them during this phase? I add a lot more rest time in for sure. I don't do heavy weights. I focus more on form, um, those type of things. Mm-hmm. So kind of adapting it on where you're at. Okay. Um, so menstrual, like I said, more rest and recovery focused. Not that you can. I was actually just listening to a really good podcast the other day. I forget um, the doctor that was on it. And um, she was mentioning, um, you know, it's not that you can't even do somewhat of a little high intensity during menstrual phase. Again, every woman is different. So you need to check in with your body and see how you respond. But even sometimes for some women, like a Tabata, which is maybe a little bit is that shorter intensity, but you get rest afterwards, could be really good during this time for some women. So again, a lot of this is going back and what this practice is all about is getting to know yourself and your body Mm. and then showing up in the best way for yourself during each day. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. So yeah. After that menstrual phase, remember we're going to move into follicular where you have our hormones starting to come back on the scene, starting to give us more energy, that type of thing. Um, Our brain also is changing through each one of these phases. So during this phase, you actually have increased neural connections in your brain, which makes it easier for you to step outside of your comfort zone. 
So trying something new in an exercise class, if there's something you've been wanting to try, um, try it out. It'll be easier for you to do it during this phase. You can also handle higher intensities in your workouts during this phase. So if you are somebody who likes to strength train, you can be focusing on moderate to heavy weights. Things like running, biking, hiking, dancing, like jumping rope are, are supported during this phase. So you can definitely have a little bit more high intensity. You don't necessarily need that rest time in there because um, you're able to recover easier. Ovulation. So ovulation is like, remember when we're releasing that eggs, so I always tell everybody, this is like your hot girl summer. Like this is like when you're feeling yourself, mm -hmm. you like feel sexy or glowing, like you are all about yourself, which is like so much fun. Um, because of that, and because we have so much, our, like testosterone is higher during this phase, we can do things like lift heavier weights in the gym. We can shoot for a PR if we haven't tried for those things in a long time. Um, interval sprints, like spin classes, boot camp, kickboxing, hit type of workouts are fine for this phase. And we're really, because of ovulation, remember, and we're biologically just made to like be procreating and socializing during this phase. So we are more social. So group classes are also a really good idea during this. You'll probably feel like you want to go like, maybe take a spin class with your friend or something like that. Mm, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And, mm. yeah. And that, and we have that last phase, which is your luteal phase, which is the longest, which is the 10 to 14 days. So what I tell a lot of people through this phase too, like probably in the beginning of your luteal phase, like you're probably still feeling pretty good from that ovulation energy. So again, this is you learning to check in with your body and see where it's at and meeting it where it is. Um, like I said, they're not like hard stops for any of these. It's more they think of it like a flow and ebbs and flow and kind of like melding together during this process. Um, but usually during the first half, your energy is still pretty good. So strength training, you can focus on like moderate to lighter weights. This is where we're going to start to focus on the form again, allowing rest time in. You could be doing higher reps since the weight is lower. Pilates, like gentle yoga, like bar classes. Um, and then as that second half of the phase happens, all those things we just mentioned are still good things to do. Just remember that your energy is probably decreasing during that time. So really allowing that rest time in there, really lowering mm. the weights, um, picking more of those gentle movements. I also like to like point out during your luteal phase because of progesterone and it's raising your basal metabolic light or your basal body temperature, which changes that basic metabolic rate, we are naturally burning more calories during this phase. You know, it's not like a thousand more calories, but you are burning more. So you will feel typically you'll feel more hungry during this phase. And it doesn't mean that it's like a willpower issue. It's you biologically and physiologically changing and your body asking for more fuel to help support it. Mm. So if you are experiencing that you are hungrier or having cravings, just supporting yourself with feeding and nourishing your body. Yeah, totally. That's a really cool yeah. thing to point out as well, the appetite changes and the metabolic changes because yes, I definitely do. notice, yeah, my my appetite changes throughout my cycle quite a bit actually. Um, 
and I don't beat yeah. myself up for it anymore because like I know that it right. kind of all comes yeah. out in the wash and it's gonna subside like sometimes I'm just eating like a total fucking monster non-stop and I'm just like I can't get enough and then and I let myself <laughs> you know like within, within reason I let myself because I eat quite healthy food so I know that like even yeah. if I eat a shitload of it it's not gonna break the bank or anything um and then yeah it kind of just sort of like uh evens out at different times in my cycle and also like the amount that I'm moving and exercising means Mm -hmm. that I have different caloric um, requirements and so that sort of ebbs and flows as well because I find like um, you know I like what you said about there's no just defined you know one day you're in your ovulation phase and you're absolutely crushing it and you're zumbering and fucking crossfitting yourself silly and then like Mm -hmm. suddenly you're just in your luteal and all of a sudden you're just like fucking wrecked and you can't you know it's quite a it's usually you know a slow transition between the phases of the cycle and there's even like these kind of in-between spaces um which are like a whole other thing there's this beautiful book um I think it's her blood is gold um anyway anyway that's a whole other thing but um yeah I find that my energy levels and the kinds of movement and exercise that I feel is good for my body changes like it can sometimes shift you know in that last week before I bleed halfway through the luteal phase or sometimes if I've like used quite a bit of energy and I've been really high high energy socializing a lot doing a lot like December for instance fucking crazy like I'm still recovering from December um (laughs) I was so you know social and high intensity and out there in a lot of ways not so much exercise but I was just burning through a lot of energy um because of the nature of you know it's summer it's the holidays there's a lot of commitments and stuff going on lots of socializing and then you know pretty much I'd get through my ovulation phase and pretty much on day like 10 10 days out from um bleeding it would be like oof I am just exhausted Mm -hmm. like I couldn't yeah I wasn't still riding that ovulation energy I'd already burnt through all of it and I was already a little bit depleted so then I really did need a lot longer like throughout that whole luteal phase I was like oh my god okay I'm just like going gently and then through the bleed I was going gently like I just needed so much more gentle time and rest whereas like if you know if it wasn't December and I was managing my energy a bit better (laughs) and not burning through it all and kind of, um, yeah, pushing myself at the, you know, during the follicular and the ovulation phase, then, then the ovulation kind of just, I can ride that a little bit longer into the luteal and I can, you know, ride up until maybe a week to a few days before I bleed. I've still got a decent amount of energy before it kind of flips. And then I'm just mm-hmm. like, I'm so <laughs> um, yeah. And a really cool little thing that I, it's, it's less about um, hormone and, and metabolic changes with regards to exercise. It's more like a, it's just a physical mechanical thing that happens that I like to tell people is like when you're about to bleed. So just, you know, coming up to your menstrual cycle in the luteal phase where, you know, you're probably a few days or a week out from bleeding, your uterus is actually so heavy compared to say in the follicular Mm -hmm. phase, once it's shed all of that inner lining, like you're, you've been, you've, you've basically been like layering on all of this, um, 
like womb lining of blood and tissue that makes your womb a lot heavier than normal. And so, you know, if you're going to be doing kind of high intensity exercise that involves a bit of, you know, jumping up and down or jogging, like any kind of like bumpy um, up and down, it's it's almost like the ligaments that hold your womb up, are like the suspension. Mm-hmm. And because the womb's heavier, mm-hmm. And you're bouncing up and down because you're going for a jog or you're doing like a pump class or a Zumba or something. Yeah, it's actually going to strain and stretch those ligaments that are attached to the uterus because they they don't they're not used to that sort of heavier weight. Um, and it's really putting pressure on them. So I try not to do anything that's gonna jostle my womb around too much or bump it up and down and strain those ligaments when I'm coming up to bleeding and you know, those first few days of bleeding as well. I love it. <laughs> That's a great like perspective on all of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I'm wondering like what this can, like, what does it look like for you? How, like, do you notice um, like if you're not respecting your body's natural ebbs and flows um, and like moving in alignment with your cycle, what happens or if you speak to clients about about it like what are some of the things that can happen if you're really not respecting your body's needs in this way um i mean a lot could happen right like you could be looking maybe at injury because maybe you're overtraining or doing things too high intense like all the time and not giving yourself Mm. time to like rest and recuperate like you should be Mm. um just more like burnout for exercise. So again, are you tired? Are you not recovering? Um, You can also notice things like after you're working out, try to focus and kind of recheck in with yourself. Like, are you having any digestive issues? Are you having any like heartburn, um, nausea, like things like that could be signs that you've overstressed your system at that Mm. point. One really um, good thing I tell women to do because our endocrine system is like, and when we're like working on like fixing hormones and periods, like there's like a few different like ways that we do that or like systems that we focus on. And one is your like stress system with like your adrenal glands. So Mm. if you wake up in the morning, let's say you, your alarm goes off and you definitely, there's no way you're waking up before that alarm. You wake up, you're like super tired. Like that's a sign that you should not be doing high intensity workout. Like all days of the week right now, like you really need to probably at that point, do not intense exercise, like 20 minutes or less, maybe two to three times a week. And not that you can't move the other times, but do like gentle walking and things. And like, I did this as I was like rehabbing my like endocrine system, right? So I understand going from doing so much to then doing a lot less and feeling like that's not going to be enough. And I can't only pro like tell you that like it, was an amazing journey and experience for me. And now I still like will weight lift three times a week on some weeks, like more than my follicular and ovulation, depending how I feel my luteal, it might be two times and my menstrual, it's probably more like two times. And I'm supplementing more with like walking in between those. Cause I just like walking as more of that gentle movement. Um, mm. Now, if you are working on this stress management side, you're giving your body the time to rest and recoup and you're supporting it nutritionally and emotionally and all that. Let's say now that your alarm goes off, you didn't wake up before it, but you feel energized when you wake up. Well, now you could start to lengthen the time that you're working out or maybe even add an extra day. And then if we can get you to a point where you could 
easily wake up before your alarm and with energy, then you're doing really, really good, right? Mm. So then you, again, you could maybe add more time or more frequency into your week of working out and intensity. Mm. So the, waking up an energy level and like how easy is it for you to you to get going in the morning can be an easy way just to kind of check in with yourself as you are assessing like, should I be doing like these high intensity workouts this many time a week or stuff like that? Like that is a way you can check and kind of manage that too. Mm, yeah. Awesome. I found that really difficult to use as a uh, yardstick when I, uh, I lived a very different lifestyle in, in Melbourne. There was just a lot more going on. It was a city. There's like social mm-hmm. things. And I used to play in bands. So I would gig in the evenings a lot of the time and I would have late nights and not really a regular sleep pattern or routine because I also worked for myself. So mm-hmm. I kind of just made my schedule, however, and I didn't have as much right. structure or routine. And so it was really, really tricky to actually figure out where I was at, where my body was at, and whether I was exhausted because I was, you know, coming up to bleeding and I needed to rest because of that. Or it was actually just that I'd had a really late night or I'd gone too hard mm-hmm. um, dancing a lot. And like I was just a bit worn out. And I found, yeah, I found the sort of even like, I mean, we'll start, we'll get into talking about, um, testing for you know your basal body temperature and natural Mm -hmm. fertility awareness and things but I found pretty much all of this stuff really tricky to dial in when Mm -hmm. I you know I was in my 20s and I and I didn't have the routine and like now I live a lot I have more routine I have more um consistency I live like out in the country and I usually go to bed at a similar time Mm -hmm. each night and I wake up at a similar time each morning it could be more structured for sure um but I find it a lot more easy to actually pay attention to those things now and you know if I do wake up and just feel exhausted still like my words are usually like oh my god I feel like I've been hit by a bus like you wake up and you're just like holy fuck Mm -hmm. that is not good and you know that was happening a fair bit through December and stuff just because I knew I was just overextending myself energetically and not even I'm not even a massive exerciser (laughs) to be honest I used to be I used to be a lot more um onto it and also that kind of came with like living in Melbourne where there was a lot more exercise classes and yoga studios and gyms and different things that I could you know I would ride my bike everywhere and I would go for jogs and with friends and I would go to exercise classes and stuff and I thought I'd keep that up but lockdown kind of squashed that in its tracks and then I've just never really gotten back into the habit it's it's bizarre I used to be so good at um I was quite self-disciplined um at doing exercise on my own at home I'd do like YouTube yoga classes and workouts and then I sort of started going to classes at actual gyms or studios and mm-hmm. and then when that kind of got taken out of the equation with lockdown in Melbourne I just I just had no motivation or inspiration to do anything at home. And I've just never, it's been a couple of years now and I just, yeah, I haven't gotten back into it in the same way. And now I live in a really rural kind of remote area where there's just no yoga studios or places I could go to work out. Um, And I do, like I do yoga at home a bit here and there. I go for lots of walks. Um, I might ride my bike or Mm -hmm. like, you know, go surfing or something. But I find the, the ways that I move now are a lot more like, 
you know, going for a surf or like walking along the beach yeah. or getting out in the garden. It's it's more kind of like natural um, ways yeah. that I'm getting movement in. But yeah, it's very gentle compared to what I used to do. Um, and mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it suits my lifestyle at the moment. I would love to get a little bit more high intensity cardio in there here and there, but I find I get that through dancing, which is cool. So I think, yeah, yeah. just finding a way that that it works for you. And even if you're not a massive um, person, like a person who goes to the gym or like a massive kind of exerciser, there's all these incidental ways that you can get exercise um, in your day-to-day life that don't feel like you're exercising, I suppose. Um, And, you know, for me these days, I find that a bit easier to fit into my um my cycle as well because I mean there's just no way I could be pushing myself too hard I'm not exercising enough (laughs) right Uh, (laughs) yeah but I I did find like I remember I used to have that kind of attitude of like you know no pain no gain and even if you don't feel like it and you're absolutely wrecked you've just got to fucking do it you've got to push that's where you're going to find you know the gains I suppose in that equation um and you're going to feel good afterwards you're going to feel you know the endorphins it'll be worth it it'll be done you've sweated it'll be a positive thing no matter what you just push yourself And like, I guess that's, you know, that might work for men and it might work if you're in your follicular or ovulation phase. But then the rest of the time I was actually just like getting exhausted and then getting sick, you know, like my immunity, there was a lot of other stuff going on, but yeah, I would, I would fall ill or I would get sick and not be able to do anything, you know, for the rest of the, yeah. So that's kind of, that was my, that's my personal experience. Yeah. You know, and I don't even think honestly anymore, it necessarily even works for men in that sense. And I think what's cool about the time that we are here on this earth is we have all this new knowledge and technology that we can use to our advantage. And, Mm. you know, unfortunately, whether you're, you know, a man or a woman or we're just more chronically stressed than we've ever been, not just emotionally, but like physically and chemically in our environment. And that wears on our body and that wears on our recovery. And if we're not taking time to recover, we're wrecking our bodies. And, Mm. you know, I guess you have to kind of get to what's your, what is your purpose that your, your soul is like going for every day? Like, for me, like I want to move well and continue to move well. And I have a really physical job and I want to be here and in this space for as long as possible in a, in a healthy way. So I need that time to recover. And I think as you're seeing more people kind of become aware of this and taking mm. sleep, like hygiene into effect and things like that and changing their workouts and um, they're actually getting better results yeah, <laughs> and taking better 100%. care of their body by resting yeah. more and doing less. Totally. Yeah. Rest, like factoring in rest and regeneration is like just as important as the actual exercise and movement. And there's no point doing, like, I feel like in, for me, um, and I think it's, you know, it was in this study that I keep referring to that I actually have no fucking idea like where it came from, but the gist of it was like, if you're going to be doing high intensity exercise before you, right before you bleed and in your menstrual cycle you're actually like doing more damage than good you may as well not be exercising and in fact it's worse than if you just weren't exercising at all like it was really like you know this is 
Actually, a podcast I heard with this amazing guy who had gone super deep into like exercise research, um, specifically with like women, mm-hmm. and he started doing all these same studies that had only ever been done with male participants and doing them with women. And he like I think he's a high level um, trainer or coach or exercise scientist that works with like female athletes. Um, I'm gonna have to dig him up. I'd love to get him on actually, but um. Yeah, it's it's yeah. really like it's as simple as that. Like if you're just pushing your body when you you it's the wrong time to be doing it or you don't have the energy. Like we are all so stressed and burnt out as it is in this like world. I got adrenal fatigue and my doctors mm-hmm. were just telling me like don't fucking exercise at all for the next 2 years. Like just mm-hmm. stop. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah, so it's like it's doing way more damage than good a lot of the time. So yeah, I mean there's this could this could basically be your answer to the next question but um i just want to bring in the the segment get pregnant and die don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die don't have sex in the missionary position but i don't have sex standing up just don't do it. Promise. <laughs> um, and ask you if it's, you know, it could just be what we've already covered. But, yeah, what do you wish you had learned about in your sex ed or have you got a story about your sex, you know, how your sex ed failed you and what it didn't teach you? Well, I wish I had learned in sex ed, like what I know now that Mm. our menstrual cycle is made up of four phases and it's our fifth vital sign that we get as women. We have a second internal clock, not just that first that men and women have, which is that circadian rhythm, that sleep wake cycle. And this fifth vital sign that we call our infradian rhythm, which is our menstrual phase influences like five different part, like systems in our body. So we're talking like metabolism, immune system, like your gut microbiome, your brain, your energy, like your reproductive system, you know, that it has mm. influence all of over all of that, that we're not the same every day. And, and you cannot get pregnant every single day of the week, like, or every day, like you just, you just can't, like there's a fertile window. And that's when you can conceive. <laughs> like, imagine no. if we had learned that. I still talk to people like, I mean, I've heard like patients where they're other providers have told them that's not true. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you literally ovulate one time a month if you're even ovulating. So we need to understand how do we know if we ovulate because it has a huge role on our health as women currently and long-term health. So we want to be ovulating healthy and regularly every single month. You know, I, I, I wish there was so much more I had new And it just took so many years to kind of learn that on my own and just learning it and being able to implement it, just how much more comfortable I feel on my body and connect it to my body by just knowing these things, Mm. you know? Yeah. Big time. Yeah. What a different world it would be (laughs) if we were taught about that stuff. I do. I love thinking of the menstrual cycle as the fifth vital sign. And that is also an incredible book, by the way. Um, it is, I'm going to yeah. get her on the podcast, but yeah, it's yeah. so important to pay attention to it. And if, if I'd known that as a teenager, I would just be so good at it by now, you know, cause I feel like it's a practice right. and we're always just getting it better is. at 
yeah, at practicing being in tune with that. And if we started that when we were young and that was like inbuilt in our sex education and our menstrual education, oh my God, we would be living so optimally compared to like fumbling mm-hmm. our way through our 20s and 30s, usually just trying to like figure it all out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, 100%. <laughs> so let's chat about contraception using natural fertility awareness. Um, Cause you've kind of like alluded to a few things so far around mm-hmm. basal body temperature and like knowing whether you yeah. even ovulate to begin with, like whether you even right. are fertile, you know, each month or maybe you ovulate some months or maybe you're not ovulating at all. Um, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. chat a little bit about that. Like what is, what is natural fertility awareness mean for those who don't know? Yeah. So it's, it's tracking your cycle and, and being able to like, know where your fertile window is, confirm ovulation. So then you can use, right. Like, so you can use that information. So you can be like, Oh, I'm open to conception at this time. So now I know when my fertile window is to know when I need to have unprotected sex in order to try to conceive, or you can use it in the opposite way. I'm Mm. not open to conception right now. So this is my fertile window. I need to use a barrier method or avoid that particular part of like sexual intercourse during this window that I could conceive and just make different mm-hmm. choices during that time. And there's a few different ways to confirm ovulation. Um, the main one is looking for a spike in your basal body temperature. But you also want to like cross reference it with one of the other two, which would be like cervical fluid or cervical positioning. Mm-hmm. Um, some people out there in another way to kind of have an idea if you've ovulated is you can use LH strips, which is picking up that LH hormone that we talked about, which surges in order for you to release that egg and ovulate. Mm-hmm. The only downside with that is it doesn't necessarily confirm that you ovulated. It'll tell you that it surged so, so that you should be ovulating, mm-hmm. but it doesn't confirm it. So if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So that's why I typically go back to like basal body temperature. And cross-reference cervical fluid is usually like the easiest for people to, I think, to start observing and picking up on to help cross-reference it. Um, So those type of things. Now, I'm guessing you're probably going to ask like some more detailed questions, but basal body temperature is taken with a special thermometer, not the normal thermometer. You would probably just buy to check to see if you have a fever and needs to go to an extra tenth of a degree because the shift that happens isn't huge when progesterone has the scene, like it's small enough that we need that extra um, 10th of a degree, but it's something we can definitely measure and pick up on. And um, so you do need a special thermometer for that. You do want to take it around the same time every single day after sleeping at least three consecutive hours. And it's literally the first thing you do when you wake up, you don't check your phone, you don't get up and use the bathroom or drink water, you put the thermometer under your tongue, you let it read, and then then you can go about your day. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's not, <laughs> that's, uh... I wouldn't say it's a hard thing to, yeah. Mm. I wouldn't say it's necessarily, I know people think it's like inconvenient or hard. I think it's just creating a new habit to remember, oh, I can't really get up and move. Just let me take this real quick. And then, and then I can do some stuff. 
yeah it's um it's totally it was like doable a, totally doable yeah it's it's so doable I think that's like it uh I don't know it is a barrier for a lot of people to begin with and like it was a little bit of a barrier for me I remember um firstly I used to think that you had to put the thermometer in your vagina <laughs> so yeah a lot that's of a common misconception um, yeah. but yeah, you mm-hmm. just chuck it under your tongue. And I think like, again, you know, because my routine was a little bit all over the place and I would sleep mm-hmm. for different amounts and like get up at different times. Uh, it was tricky yeah. to implement something like that. Um, but then, you know, when I committed to it, um, the first few times I sort of forgot, you know, in the morning to do it straight away as soon as I woke up. But then mm-hmm. after a few mornings, cause I just had it right next to my bedside table and I would try to yeah. remember and then, you know, it just somehow dropped into my head as like this new habit. And when I woke up, that was the Mm -hmm. first thing I thought of usually. So now it's just this like ingrained thing where like, you know, I reach for, because usually I would like wake up and I would like get out of bed and do a wee and go make a warm lemon water. So healthy. Now I like wake up and I don't even open my eyes or sit up because I know that if you like, even if you sit up in bed, then your basal body temperature starts changing and rising. So like, cause you're, you know, you're right. moving your body, your blood's pumping. Mm-hmm. So I just like keep my eyes closed and just like whack my arm over to my bedside table and like fish <laughs> around for the thermometer and then like chuck it in. And I usually <laughs> am like still half asleep and just sort of like take it and then it beeps and then I put it back on the bedside table and just like snooze a little bit longer or like roll around and have yeah. a cuddle or whatever. And then I can actually like look at the last temperature that, that was taken on it when I do actually stand up and go Mm -hmm. to like write it on my, my cycle chart and stuff like that. And it's just a habit now. Like it's actually no biggie at all. Yep. Yeah. I have like a really, um, I say it's bougie just because like it takes some of these steps out of it, um, that I use and it's to, to me, it's totally worth the investment, but anyhow, it, the, it's called, um, the brand name is Daisy. Yeah. And they yeah. um, have been around for a very long time and they have this logarithm. So one of the things I love about it is, you know, I will, um, I'm pretty regular in my routines, but it was stressful for me to be like, oh, I need to try to take this at the same time every single day. Like what if it's a weekday versus a weekend? And mm. with their logarithm, like you don't necessarily have to do that with theirs. Like it'll still be accurate, but you do need three consecutive hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. So um, as long as like I've done that, like I'll, yeah, when I wake up, I'll just, you know, take it and I don't have to stress myself out about like, oh, is it around yeah. the same time every single day? And it's also connected to an app, which is really cool. So you can just sync it and it plots yeah. the point for you. And it it also mm. lights up to tell you like if you're in your fertile window versus not. So like to me, yeah. it it make the whole it made the whole process um really a more enjoyable, I guess, experience and learning it. But it mm. I think it, mm. even if you don't have one like that, you can by all means, still do this. Just find an app where you can track your temperature and it can plot it, or you can do this on paper. Um, yeah, and yeah. Give yourself totally. about, probably about three months to learn it. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and then sometimes people need more help when then there's other there's people out there who like specialize in this, and you can hire them to help you. You know, so and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, really? Some women feel comfortable learning on their own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's so yeah. nice sometimes just having someone who knows what they're doing to kind of like make sense of it all for you and help you get get into your stride with it. Because, 
yeah, it does. It yeah. does take a little while. I think that's great. Like it's funny because both of us are kind of representing different ends of the spectrum in terms of options. Like you've got your, I'm analog and you're digital, you know, like if you, if you want that yeah. really convenient, reliable, like easy kind of way to go about mm-hmm. it, Daisy, something like that. Fab. And then mm-hmm. I'm like pretty old school and just sort of wanted to like have a really, I don't know, I, I like would love to try Daisy as well, but I've got like a, you know, I've made a um a cycle tracking chart that's like a PDF. You can, you know, yeah. it's on my website. You can get it for free and you can print it out. And I just like have it on my fridge and every, every cycle I'm like handwriting. I just love handwriting stuff. Like even, you know, when I take I notes it. or journal, I'm always writing on a notebook. That's just me. So yeah. I like handwriting stuff onto my chart. It's like a little part of the ritual helps it kind of like solidify for me in my head. And then I can just get the pages of a few months out and like lay them out and really can compare it would be so convenient just to have an algorithm do that for you totally um but I <laughs> but feel I like I don't you know do it, yeah I love that yeah. you like, still plot it and stuff though that's so cool <laughs> yeah it's just I don't know I feel kind of closer to the process through doing that and I wanted sure. to like before I started mm-hmm. using something like Daisy I just wanted to do it the old school way I mean, part partly because you know it's some it's like research almost for me, um, and yeah. and yeah, just to kind of like get it, get a grasp on it, and like really be in the nitty gritty of it. Um, but also, I'm just like so it takes me so long to adopt new technology, <laughs> and once I'm doing something one way, I kind of <laughs> just like stay doing yeah. it that way. Um, so yeah, it's yeah. not because I don't want to use Daisy. I'm just probably too lazy to even get off my ass and try to try a new method but yeah I I think it's cool that there's different ways people can do it you could just do the daisy way or you could do it the way that I do it which is like manually writing it on a bit of paper or you could do it in in there's like middle ground middle ground you can have an app um and plug in your info there and then check it out on your phone um there's a lot of ways that make it pretty accessible these days which is cool um but yeah I'd love to I'd love to like talk a bit about some really I guess practical like fundamental steps that people can take if they want to start doing this either to I mean it's the same process whether you're trying to conceive or whether you're trying to avoid conception um (laughs) and you know there is only about five or six days every month or every cycle that you can even get pregnant. So I think that's important to note, like you were saying earlier. Um, Yeah. What are some ways that someone who hasn't done this before could start tracking their cycle and looking out for, you know, say the the cervical mucus and things like that? Like there's, you know, a few main things, main like signs or symptoms that you can, yeah, you can gauge. Definitely get yourself a basal body temperature thermometer. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, like you really can find them like on any budget. Like it, it, you can find yeah. ones that are not as expensive or you can find like more bougier ones, like figure out like what's comfortable for you and, and just, you know, start with that. Um, so I would get one of those and I would decide, you know, where you're going to write or, or chart your temperature, whether that's going to be an app or like a paper chart or something like that. Um, so you definitely want to start with that taking at the same time around the same time, every single morning after three hours of sleep. Now, certain things can change this. So kind of keep that in mind. Like if you're, um, 
traveling different time zones, it can kind of change your temperature. If you have drank a lot, um, that can change your temperature. If you, of course, have like an illness or like a fever, like, of course, that can change your temperature. So if some of those things happen, you can always like skip that day and then like repick up the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that wouldn't help you 100% with if this was happening through that fertile window and confirming ovulation, maybe if you missed that day. But again, these things can change. So you kind of just in that natural state, just be more aware and use different practices if you're not trying to conceive. Um, so with starting with that, definitely start with basal body temperature and just start taking it and just start trying to integrate it into your morning wake up routine. Um, Mm. I would say definitely like, don't beat yourself up. If you miss a day, like, again, this takes usually most women about three months to like learn and start to see these patterns and stuff. So we're not going to wake up and be perfect at it after trying it one time, Mm. you know, it's, it's a practice. So keep practicing it as far as, um, cervical fluid goes, um, you should see cervical fluid kind of come on the scene as you are approaching that fertile window. And it, so prior to that fertile window, so maybe like after your menstrual phase, um, part of your follicular phase, you're a lot more dry. So you're probably not going to notice any like wetness or cervical fluid. You can see this in your underwear. Um, when you're like, go to use the bathroom or you can wipe and maybe pick it up on toilet paper as well as of course you could insert your fingers and check for it. Mm -hmm. Um, so you will notice phases where you're more dry and you don't really have any. Then what you'll, and of course, like with all this stuff, this is also a practice because not every woman is the same. So these are like general guidelines, right? So you should start to see when cervical mucus starts to show up as that fertile window is coming up or you're into it, it should start to come more into like a um, lotion kind of creamy white consistency. And then it will, when you're like in that really fertile space, it's more of an egg white or watery consistency. And then you will transition back to like where you're dry again after that fertile window. And if that egg um, was not, was not fertilized. Mm-hmm. So basically mm-hmm. like a good rule of thumb is if you are noticing th- any type of that cervical fluid around that fertile window, you would assume that cervical fluid is um, able to help sperm get to the egg faster and it can help you get pregnant. So yeah, um, totally, that's like a good totally. starting point as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I used to, um, I used to think, I think I read somewhere years ago, like about the egg whitey, like stretchy consistency and that that mm-hmm. day was when you ovulated. And I thought like, okay, well, when I found that in my underwear, um, that was the day that I'd ovulated, but actually like, that's not the case. And there's actually a few right. different kinds right. of cervical discharge that, yep. you know, can indicate that it's either coming up or that it's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And nowadays I don't try to like get too um, obsessive about like what kind of, you know, cause it can be like creamy sure. and lotiony or it can be like really yep. watery, but like quite a bit or that stretchy egg whitey mm-hmm. consistency. And it kind of changes, but I do notice that around ovulation, there's just more of it. And I start like actually noticing mm-hmm. it. Whereas like the other times in my month, there's like regular, like discharge that you like do see like little mm-hmm. bits in your undies, but it's not as much. And then when I, around when I ovulate, I can like sometimes just feel an actual letdown of of yeah. moisture or liquid. It's just like all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it's like I, it's almost like you know when you pass a clot when you've got your period, and you can feel it passing yeah. through yeah. your vaginal opening. Bad time. Bad time. Sometimes like, yeah, yeah. before ovulation yeah. or around that time, I can feel like cervical mucus actually like 
coming out and then I'm like, oh, okay. And I go like, check it out, have a look, get my fingers yeah. in it. I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the reason like we talk about this, because like as, as you had mentioned, like when we talk about your ovulation phase, like your ovulation phase is about three to four days long, but that's not your fertile, not fully your fertile window because a fertile window is about six days long in reality, mm. because sperm can live for five and your egg lives for 24 hours. So that's mm. why it's a mm-hmm. six day window. So you could, you know, have sexual and unprotected sexual intercourse during that time, maybe like three days before ovulation, ovulate and that sperm could still fertilize that egg. Yeah. You know, Cause of all that amazing cervical more days. keeping it alive. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, that's really, and, and, you know, like in, in like a really random case, there can be super sperm that can last up to seven days. I'm always like a little bit careful, um, for like, you know, a week (laughs) usually, but, um, yeah. yeah, And that's Mm -hmm. why it's also like important when you start doing this to, yeah, wait at least three months before you're like really relying on it as your contraception method. Um, because over the three months you can start to see, the patterns and ideally if you've got a regular cycle you can predict ovulation through seeing what has come before in those previous cycles because you are still it's like you if you figure out when you're ovulating you know you've still been fertile for like technically like five or six days before that so it's not that useful to know when you've ovulated at the time unless you have done that for a few cycles in a row and you can kind of predict that like okay so I know that I'm going to ovulate in a in around five or six days now is when I need to stop um having unprotected sex or whatever yeah yeah Mm -hmm. got it (laughs) So other than cervical mucus and temperature, um, what are some other signs? You said something about cervical positioning. Is that like the sort of third thing that you would say is a nice little um, entry level or like fundamental tool that people mm-hmm. can can use to check? Yeah. So you would have to check cervical positioning by actually like inserting Usually like your middle finger is the longest for most people. So inserting it up to try to touch and feel your cervix, you should be able to. Mm-hmm. Um, during ovulation, it's actually going to move up higher. So um, kind of keep that in mind. Whereas post-ovulation, um, your cervix will be lower and like firmer to the touch. So kind of like if you touch the tip of your nose, um, more mm-hmm. of like that um, consistency, I guess, or touch. And, you know, I mean, all are, you can definitely, you know, work on that one. I do think, um, I know for me, it was just easier. Fluid was just easier to like visually Mm. see, Mm -hmm. you know, and feel versus, um, this while learning those having to then learn what my cervix feels like. And is it Mm. high or low? Not that you can't by any means, you know, you definitely can. And I definitely encourage you to be comfortable with your body and do those things. Uh, but so that is another, um, one you can do is check your cervical positioning. Mm, yeah it is it uh, maybe not for everyone but for me also that felt like a slightly like more of a reach and like less convenient and quick and easy to Mm -hmm. do that one just because also like 
I don't have the longest fingers. I think my vaginal canal is quite <laughs> long and my cervix can can be tucked away in some pretty mm-hmm. interesting places. And it is tricky for me to reach. So then I would have to be squatting mm-hmm. and then that would be changing yeah. the position that I'm feeling it in anyway. And it just wasn't a super, like that could be for some people a really great, easy way um, to check whether they're ovulating or not, but I feel like it's probably out of those three, the least accessible and easy to learn, depending on, you know, maybe, maybe you just know exactly what your cervix feels like and where it's at throughout your cycle anyway. And it's, you know, you've got long fingers or you've got a shorter vaginal canal and you can just reach it quite easily because, because it's also like your arm length and your torso length and like, the angle yeah. that your your cervix sits at and stuff. I've got like whether you've got like retroverted and my cervix can can be like quite tricky to reach because of its positioning. So depends, depends. But that could be a really great one for a lot of people. And I definitely recommend like giving it a go. I'm trying to get into the habit of doing it a little bit more. I do forget quite a bit. <laughs> I'm not perfect at this stuff either. Um <laughs> But yeah, I want to, I want to get better at that as well. But I do find the other two, like keeping an eye on cervical mucus, tracking my cycle and knowing kind of, luckily I have a really regular cycle so I can see the same patterns emerging each cycle. And yeah, like temperature, basal body temperature is a really great one Mm -hmm. for me, um, as well. And just to like clarify for people, it's going to be different in Fahrenheit and Celsius, and we've got we we oh, use different because yes. you're from the states. Um, but yeah, yeah, I guess I don't know what it is in Fahrenheit, but in Celsius, it's like point um, zero. Th- it's point zero three, kind of a ri- roughly a rise in temp. Um, there's you can. It's not going to like stay in your head from hearing me say it verbally right now, but you can just look up what like what the temperature rise is that indicates like um that it's been significant enough to indicate ovulation has taken place um and that that progesterone is is coming in and yeah just start to to see because like I my temperature um I guess because I still don't have a crazy regular sleep time and wake time and whatever um especially for the first few months of doing this I was sort of, it was still a little bit all over the place and it was like around the time of ovulation, it would start to rise, but it was, it wasn't sort of significant until like way into my follicular phase. And I was like, hmm, I still can't pinpoint the exact day because, you know, it's meant to be like when you see that temperature rise of a significant, um, like, uh, increment. So like I've gone Mm -hmm. from like 36 point, five degrees celsius to like around the 36.8 degrees celsius um Mm -hmm. or something like that um for for three consecutive days so that that is like meant to be when it indicates yeah is that kind of your understanding of it yeah yeah same thing um of course like i use fahrenheit but that's okay (laughs) like you said um so like um yeah, I just pulled up my notes to make sure I didn't say the wrong thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, a day or two after ovulation is when you'll see that rise in your basal body temperature, which is about two tenths of a degree in Fahrenheit and one tenth of a degree in Celsius. Yeah, and it should cool. stay elevated for like the next like, yeah, three that you measure compared to I think you look at like the average of like six. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So for Fahrenheit, it would be somewhere around 97.8 and around 36.55 for Celsius. 
mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, so you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I mean, that's where I guess Daisy makes it so much more easy. Cause I'm just like fucking around with like small decimal places in Celsius <laughs> degrees <laughs> and stuff and like trying to, trying to sort of map it out. But yeah, it's been a cool process for me. And I feel like I've got it like relatively dialed in now, even though it was like a little bit confusing at, at the start, but yeah, definitely an app or something like Daisy can take all of that guesswork out of it for you. Um, yeah, very cool. So just before we wrap up, I want to, I want to chuck in, I've got a couple more questions, but I want to chuck in the, the classic segment TMI. We love it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's like totally optional to participate. Um, that's also inspiring just to say no, but I want to like rebrand TMI from too much mm-hmm. information to um, too much inspiration because I feel like it's really inspiring oh, yeah. <laughs> to chat about things that are commonly considered as like too much information, don't talk about that in public, yeah. or that's not really fit for public consumption, like, ew, we don't want to know about that, like, why are you talking about that? You know, I just feel like that's so unhelpful to even have a concept like TMI. So I find it really right. inspiring and relatable and, like, normalising to just fucking talk about this stuff openly. So do you have yeah. a TMI story for us? Um, I, I don't... I don't know. Like, I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time, so I don't really feel yeah. like it's TMI. <laughs> like you say, um, yeah. you know, I, um, I not like not one that necessarily pops in my head other than like, um, I mean, I've just tried like so many things as I've been like going through this process and learning it. And, um, I just think like, just, having conversations like being in a dating world and having conversations with men about this stuff is like really interesting because of course they Mm. a lot of men don't necessarily want to talk about it and they're not comfortable but I'm like but this is like what I do so if you can't have these conversations with me then like this isn't going to go very far if it makes you like super uncomfortable or because I choose to be different than I would say a, a significant amount of the population like yeah, I'm going to tell you when I know when I'm in my fertile window, because I'm not, no, I'm not going to be on hormonal birth control. Like it's not the best choice for me. And, and to just have to have those, like, I think maybe a little bit more sensitive or what we would normally see as tougher conversations, because what's the reality in society? Like most of the time, like women are the ones who are on some sort of hormonal birth control to make sure they're not getting pregnant. And there's not really too much thought into it on the male side of things if they know that the woman's on it you know, Mm. and it like relies on them so much. So I don't know if that fully like it gives you like a great TMI story or anything like that. But you know, with where I'm at in life, um, you know, I've had to navigate that in like the dating world, which is definitely interesting. Definitely like a lot different. I think like most guys are like, uh, who are you? (laughs) What do you mean Mm. do these things? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like a (laughs) Pretty perfect. I mean, it's not like that story was TMI, but it's a really good TMI yeah. anecdote because, like, you're copying this response from guys in the dating world, like, oh, Madeline, that is like, that's too much information. Like, don't tell me about your cycle. I don't want to know about your cervical mucus. Mm-hmm. So, like, you're actually coming up against <laughs> this attitude of like, there is such thing as TMI and like applied to your fucking cycle, for God's sake, from dudes who yeah. expect to fuck you. Like, 
totally, right. totally ridiculous. And- <laughs> yeah. And have conversations about them too. Like, oh my God, I like to see them squirm. They even see like, if you're in that space where you're going to talk about having sex with each other, like, do you even know if they'll entertain, enter- entertain the idea of having sex on your period? Like, mm. so many men I've met are like, uh, no. And I'm like, really? Like, oh yeah <laughs> i know some people are so squeamish about that stuff and it's it just is like probably coming from this kind of cultural shame around yes, periods as yes, being yes. filthy and gross and like yes. you know shameful and we should just like keep them private and not talk about them and not let anyone yes. else have to be a part of that process like yeah and i feel like that's just so outdated like get over it guys like the blood is just extra lube for fuck's sake <laughs> I know. So crazy. <laughs> um, great. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's important. That's like a yeah. perfect example in the real world of how, yeah, TMI um, is unhelpful and continuing to perpetuate the shame around a woman's body. Um, and yeah, that's just, that's like definitely, I hope that you're not having sex with the those men that are like receiving that information oh, no. really <laughs> terribly like if of i was a guy not. it's like a test you know, a little bit right <laughs> it, yeah it's it's like weeding out weeding out the unsuitable yeah. suitors exactly <laughs> mm. so aside from you know helping you weed out the like little boys that you don't want to fuck how has this method and tracking your cycle and like being in tune with your cycle changed your life and your relationship with your body and and how has it changed your sex life as well while we're on yeah. the topic I mean yeah I'm well it's completely changed my relationship with my body like now in this space like I can like I had said earlier like work with myself versus against myself which I think puts us in a completely different empowering space. And it allows you to like see this magical, beautiful being that you are and to be able to like tap in and use that and feel just like sexy and comfortable in your skin. Even I think even in like, not your ovulation phase, of course, everybody loves ovulation phase, right? But like, what about the times that you are being called to be more raw and go more inward and having to like, sit with things that are working in your life versus not working and navigate through that. I think there's a beautiful process within that. And I, at this, like could never imagine going back to not knowing this information and not honoring those cycles. Like it's given me so much inner wisdom and more connection to my intuition that it's, it's just amazing. It allows me to step more into who I'm being called to be as a woman each day. So just mm. as far as that goes, it's been, it's been amazing and beautiful. And as far as like, sex life goes, it's made me way more comfortable. I think just mm. like I said, in my own skin to show up in that space with somebody else. And now I understand what's changing in my body. So like, I know that like, okay, my ovulation phase, I'm probably I'm already naturally more wet. Like I have natural lube there. Like I'm not probably don't really need as much foreplay, like probably just kind of get to it really fast if I want to, you know, versus when we're more in our luteal or if you're choosing to have sex during your menstrual phase, like you might need more of that like gentle Mm. touch and like longer foreplay times. And, you know, I haven't um, been in a relationship for a long time with somebody in a long time. Um, Mm. But, you know, I can, I was talking to another woman one time about how much this information changed her marriage because she was like, well, now I know, like, I'm not just like, don't touch me because I'm in my luteal phase and I'm getting ready to get my period. And now I understand what's changing in my body. Mm. And now I can meet him in a different space and be like, 
we need to just take things slower and be more sensual and more gentle and have more time for this foreplay type of um, scenario and then engage in that sexual activity fully. Like mm. that completely changes the game, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, totally. I mean, the more you know about your own needs, like the needs of your body, the more you can actually engage in, like rather than it just being like a blanket no, you can actually be like, well, no, Mm -hmm. not the way that you would usually approach it where you're like skipping all of the foreplay and you just want to get straight to the pussy. Yeah. Like no to that, but like I'm still potentially open to having sex. I just need a massage first and I need this and I need this. Yeah. And then, you know, if you approach it in that way, we can still totally engage and be intimate and I can enjoy that sensual sexual energy. But my, my needs at this stage, my cycle are just different. So you're going to have to approach me differently. So it's like, you know, yeah. as a woman, you know that about yourself, but then you can give that as feedback and guidance to a partner so they can start to calibrate to your cycle and your different needs throughout it as well. And I think like another um, thing I hear from women a lot is like they're really afraid, like if they are thinking about going off um, hormonal contraception or if they're not on hormonal contraception and they're like, you know, they're with a partner and they've been using condoms, but they want to like have unprotected sex. The biggest like Mm -hmm. like killjoy for their arousal is like fear and stress of getting pregnant. And I think like – that, you know, right. and, and that's why people don't want to go off hormonal birth control because they're like, no, like sex would just be so stressful. I would be like constantly worried about getting pregnant. And it's really like, you know, there's that big fear around it. But I think once you have a grasp on this sort of method, it's yep. so empowering and it just takes that stress out of the in- equation. And yep. then you can just enjoy sex unprotected sex um you know I mean there's still there's still like STIs to worry about if if it's like a casual thing and you're not in a long-term relationship but yeah yeah, you can enjoy it without the the kind of like impending doom of potential pregnancy if that's what you know you're trying to avoid um and like I just had a thought because I wanted to because when I do talk about um this as a method of contraception sometimes I get the response from people like oh you know, that's like, it can be seen um, as like hippy dippy or like being outdated because they're getting it mixed up with like the rhythm method or the billings method, um, which are like the more well-known or like used to be the well-known methods that are like, I don't know, they all get lumped in with this. And I just wanted to like get you to clarify, like, you know, because it's a common misconception about this method, like what, makes this method different to like those old fashioned like billings or rhythm methods that aren't actually very effective. Um, and what make, you know, what makes this method more reliable? Well, you're actually like confirming ovulation, you know, with that basal body temperature check cross-referencing with cervical fluid, like that's such an important part to doing this. But I think even like whether you're looking at the other ones there or like fertility awareness, like I think it, I mean, this just happens in my like everyday life, honestly, not even just with this type of stuff, because I am a chiropractor and I choose to live my life differently than what mm. our like mainstream medical model is. And I, you know, I don't know how much uh, in all transparency, how much like your guys's medical system looks compared to like our medical system over here. But like, mm-hmm. I'm the quack doctor. I'm the weird one. I don't give medication. I believe that, you know, diet and lifestyle and you can heal without these things. So mm. we're the ones that were like pushed down by, let's say like that medical complex 
and called yeah. crazy and hippies and we don't know what we're talking about and it doesn't work. And this happens in the same scenario with this. Like we're, mm-hmm. you, the medical system took the power away from that individual and told them that they could not do this without them, which is bullshit. You can yes. do this without them. You can 100% learn your body and know when you ovulate and confirm ovulation and know when your fertile window is and be very successful at it where you can work on conceiving when you are open to conception and then or not conceiving when you're not open to it and it works. But they don't make money by you doing that. Mm. They make money by you being (laughs) on their products, you know, and they think, unfortunately, for some reason, because it is a cool complex and it's very deeply rooted and a lot of craziness um, that we won't dive into at this point, but you know, it, it was taking the power away from each, not even, you know, just women, but each individual when it came to their body and making their healthcare choices. And now we look at this doctor who's supposed to know all, and we can only follow them without asking questions, which I think there's a lot of people waking up from that now, but Mm. um, no, like we can do these things and they are okay. But I mean, I still have patients like I'll see in my practice or, or coaching clients who We'll go to their OBs and they will be like, hey, our gynecologist, like, I don't want to be on this birth control anymore. I want to track my cycle. And their doctors will tell them essentially that they are crazy and that they are going to get pregnant. And I'm like, yeah. But they're also like, I don't think the physicians, you have to remember, I don't think the physicians in medical school are necessarily learning these methods and practicing these methods like some other provide or like people out there are Mm. that are using them successfully. Yeah. Like in medical yeah. school, they barely get any nutrition. So they're not giving you nutrition mm. advice. And they're telling totally. you it doesn't matter what you put in your mouth. Totally. Like, of course it matters yeah. what you put in your mouth. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, I know. I um, a little rant, but. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's totally. You're preaching to the choir, sister. I'm just so off the Western medical system. Oh, yeah. And I pretty much just avoid going to GPs if I can absolutely help it um and I don't really take what they say as gospel because they just don't know what they don't know again like they're not taught about this stuff in their training um and they're really encouraged to and like in you know they're encouraged to like endorse and push push medications and the pill and all of this sort of stuff on us um but if you look at the um statistics with this method of like natural fertility awareness as contraception there's actually another name there's an do you know what the name is for this method as contraception is that like a fertility awareness method yeah yeah okay cool yeah that's like that's what i call it but there's like an even more it's like a sciencey sounding name or term Mm -hmm. i can't remember anyway the yeah they're like efficacy success rates whatever you want to call it like um of perfect use are 99.3 or something like same as the pill same as the fucking pill so it is completely Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That is important to note and so empowering and just free, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Well, fabulous, fabulous. I'm, yeah, I'm really into everything we've chatted about. I feel like we're, we're kind of on the same page with this stuff. And hopefully, you know, it might not be for everyone, but hopefully we've given people some alternative um perspectives and and like options if they do maybe you don't feel like tackling you know this method of contraception right now maybe your like lifestyle just doesn't really allow for it or you're not quite ready to to sort of come off the pill or like let go of the convenience of 
some other kind of um, method of contraception, but you know that this is a thing now, you know that there are resources out there like Madeline, like me, there's lots of good books. Um, you can always get in touch and I can recommend you some great resources. If you do at some point feel like, you know, you want to try this or you're up for it or you're ready. Maybe maybe you've listened to this podcast at just the right time and you actually have been looking for a better way because hormonal contraception just isn't doing it for you. Um, so, yeah, like I think this is a really important topic. I'm so grateful that you've come on and chatted to me about, I mean, yeah, both of those. We've, we've hit two, two pretty big topics there. Um, and just to yeah. wrap up, I would love to just ask you one final question around um, your work. Is there like anything that crops up, you know, that you hear from clients or, or patients maybe where they feel really alone in or abnormal or like they're, bro- you know, they're broken or something um, yeah. that you want to like go on the record as saying is actually totally okay and normal? <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a, I, I knew you were going to ask me that when I was like racking my brain because unfortunately I feel like there are a lot of things in the period PMS, like menstrual world that are considered normal that really at the deep root of it are not normal. They're just very mm. common. But yeah. actually, as you had asked, were you asking me, um, what popped into my head and, um, came up is like, you know, I'll talk to women or things and, who feel comfortable sharing these things with me. And I would say like, maybe just like the interaction with their body and their like, like the cervical mucus and fluid and things like that. Like, I think women aren't used to understanding that there are times of the month where they will produce more cervical fluid. Um, Some women are going to produce more than other women and that like these things are normal. Um, Mm. And it's okay to have them. I I just think about like one patient I had who was, um, you know, shared her experience about an appointment she went to um, with her provider and they like made her feel kind of bad about like her amount of cervical fluid and basically kind of planted the seed in her head that she must have some sort of like STI or something because of the amount of fluid she was producing. And she's like, no, like I'm, you know, I haven't done those things to get in that position. And anyhow, got kind of bullied from my understanding into getting these tests performed that all came back negative. And I was like, these people look at how many vaginas and and things all day long. And they can't even realize that of course women are going to be different, but that's normal. (laughs) Like, but I would say that's definitely popping in my head. I would say definitely like cervical fluid is maybe, I think a thing that we don't really talk about in this realm. I mean, like in this realm we do, but like we're talking about like sex education and like, Mm -hmm. and and those type of things that we don't know if it's, the what's normal or not and it is normal to have it and to feel it and to see it and those things yeah yeah that's such a good one to mention because yeah it it is often in that tmi category of like squeamish bodily functions that Mm -hmm. gross people out and and like it's so devastating you know to hear that the medical professionals that are in a position of like you know i guess kind of power um, or like authority yeah. at least, uh, shaming and bullying this poor woman. There's something that's probably yeah. already like we already have, I don't know, a fair bit of not everyone, but like, you know, I definitely used to have a fair bit of like embarrassment or shame about 
any kind of fluid that came out of my vagina. I was just like so Mm -hmm. grossed out Mm -hmm. because of my conditioning and because of like, you know, all sorts of factors. But I wound up being, before I got into this work, being like really grossed out by my own body, really grossed out by period blood, really grossed out by mucus or like whatever. And I would like literally, before I was with a guy or whatever, I would kind of like wipe away any moisture with my hands like any any natural lubrication Mm -hmm. or like if I was aroused and you know my yoni was lubricating which is fucking great like wish that would happen every time you know and I would wipe it away with my hands and I fully forgot I'm just remembering this now that this was a habit I would do sometimes because I was worried that then they were going to touch me or like finger me or whatever and notice all this lubrication and be like, ew, gross, because I was grossed out. And I thought like discharge was something to be ashamed of and that it was embarrassing and not that normal. So, yeah, like that one really kind of – that that example – sings out to me because if I felt like that, you know, and those doctors were telling this woman that, then how many other people have been going through life feeling as though their cervical mucus or their discharge wasn't normal or wasn't okay? Yeah. Right. Thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, (laughs) love wrapping up an episode (laughs) talking about cervical discharge <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I'm gonna I'm gonna love you and leave you because I know we've gone a fair bit over time okay. I should have checked in with you about whether you had the extra time I just well, I just got carried away as as I do it's um, all good. but it's it's yeah. probably getting on getting on for you I mean it's morning for me but it's nighttime for you so I will let you go and do your sleep hygiene <laughs> okay so Perfect. much Madeline it's been a pleasure Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.